The first reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. You can find it on your service sheet, on the screen, or in the pew Bibles in front of you on page 433. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. As Neil said, um, our second reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you very much, uh, Polly and Monica, for reading. Let's pray with those words uh, before us. We echo that prayer of the disciples when they saw the Lord Jesus praying. Lord, teach us to pray. And it's our longing, Father, that you would open our hearts to your word and then open our lips to pray as pleases you and to see wonderful answers to those prayers. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We've been looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 for two weeks. I think we originally devised the series uh, in tandem with what the groups were looking at in the memorial hall at the 9.30 service. If you wondered why we suddenly hit on uh, Matthew chapter 6, that was what the uh, All Saints kids were doing. And it was a way of doubling up the services in tandem with them. Probably the most important thing for us to focus on, it seems to me, is our first verse this evening, Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. It's important because that's the vital starting point. Prayer is an expression of a loving personal relationship with God as our heavenly Father. Um, It is a serious mistake to imagine that all people know God as Father. We don't naturally know God as Father. And even people who've been Christians for a while may never have registered in their experience that God is a loving Father to them. They can tick the box, sure, they know that, but has it really sunk in? 
but wonderfully an intimate personal relationship with God is possible for us because God gave his one and only son to be born as a baby and then to die on the cross for our sins. We can be forgiven, we can be born again, we can be given a fresh start and we can be welcomed into his family and know God personally as our heavenly father. The night before Jesus died, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. So he had this relationship of sonship with his Father in heaven through all eternity. He was the Son in whom God was able to say, I am well pleased with him. And amazingly, God is able to say the same to us if we belong to Jesus. We are his beloved children. So this is not just about knowing him as Father, but really being able to go beyond knowing about him as father to relating to him as a father. That's the foundation of all true prayer. And what we've seen in the last couple of weeks on Sunday mornings is that it means he's not distant. So we don't have to get the attention of people that we can see for a reward from them um, because father loves us and sees us when no one else does we can trust him and relate to him. He's not distant and he's not reluctant. There's no sense we have to twist his arm by saying the right words and lots of them for him to give us what we need. No, he's our father. He's in heaven, glorious, majestic, Lord of all. Yes, but he's devoted and committed to us, our father in heaven. And that relationship lies at the heart of prayer. Well, very well then. What are the concerns which feature in our prayers if we know God as Father? Now, when Jesus taught his followers how to pray, it seems to me the precise form of words wasn't uppermost. He says, this then is how you should pray in verse 9. In other words, a framework for our prayers, rather like um, those books which give you model answers for exams, just to let you know roughly what the examiner is looking for. The idea is if you produce an answer along these lines, uh, including these elements, you'll get a good mark. Hence, says Jesus, if you pray along these lines, including these different elements, and maybe expanding on these concerns, uh, you'll be on target. What are they? Well, let me um, summarize them. Forgive me if this is a little neater than uh, is is helpful and irritates you, but I, I want to summarize them under three headings. His priorities his provision, and his protection. Those are the themes of the Lord's Prayer. And if they're the themes, therefore, of our praying, we won't go far wrong. His priorities to start with, that it seems to me to reflect the petitions at the start of the Lord's Prayer. That God's name be hallowed, that his reign be advanced, and that his will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. So it's a matter of saying first things first, is it not? We'll see there's a place in prayer for our concerns, of course, because he's our father. But instead of our travel plans or our doctor's appointments dominating our prayer requests, you know what musical term they use to describe the prayer slot at the home group? It's called an organ recital. Instead of that side of things, God's priorities come first to start with a request that the name of God be treated as holy, in other words, held in honor 
and respect. The antithesis might be that uh, mobile phone text abbreviation, OMG, which really brings God down to the level of an exclamation mark. Instead, we're praying that he would be held in high honor by us as we pray, and of course by others throughout the world, uh, partly as a result of our prayers. May every aspect of God's character, all that makes up his name, be known and acknowledged and praised. His greatness, his glory, his power, his perfection, his love, his holiness, his wisdom, and so on. Or the priority that his reign be advanced. In one sense, of course, God is already king. He's absolutely sovereign. But in a rebel world, we're to pray in the short term for his kingdom to be acknowledged and for evil to be checked in the world, in our nation, in the church, in our own lives. We're also asking for people to become subjects of the king. And I take it that if we're serious in praying that way, we'll be doing all we can to help other people come to know him as their king. So I wonder if there are names of people like that on our prayer lists if we have them. And we long for them to become subjects of King Jesus in the short term. Then in the long term, that that is a prayer, is it not, for nothing less than the God's great day of reckoning would come when Jesus returns as king and every enemy to his rule is defeated. Put it another way, we're praying for God's will to be done as opposed to my will be done and it seems to me that here more than anywhere else the purpose of prayer becomes clear it's not a matter of making God do my will but bringing my will into line with his so for an example from the Christmas story think of Mary's response to the angel pregnancy is an upheaval anyway but on top of that she was facing a confused Joseph Um, The puzzlement and hostility of other people, uh, raising a child on her own, as she must have anticipated. What does she say? May it be to me according to your word. It's that kind of overturning of her priorities uh, to say your will be done. Susu often counsels people who have tough circumstances not to fight the circumstances as if changing them is the priority. Usually when our circumstances are tough, we're the ones that need to be changed in some ways. And we need to pray particularly in those circumstances that God's will be done. And as with the previous request, it looks forward to the day when God's will is done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. We may have to wait a long time for the full answer to our prayers. See, God always answers our prayers. If he doesn't give us something we're asking for, he will give us something better, which is a fuller, more wonderful answer to our prayers, even if we have to wait until Jesus comes again or till we wake up in heaven after we die. So God's priorities, that is the first theme. And I wonder if you can let those sink into you from those early petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Then God's provision, and I think we see that in verses 11 and 12 in two distinct ways. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Forgive me getting excited about grammar, which I sometimes do in sermons, but the possessive adjectives change there from your to our. So it's God's priorities first, but then God's provision for us, what we ask him for ourselves, including his material provision, give us today our daily bread. And I love the way concern for God's glory doesn't eliminate praying very specifically for our own personal needs. Actually, to decline to mention them in prayer or to say, well, I won't bother God with such trivialities, that is not spiritual. It is actually as great an error as it would be to allow them to dominate. Actually, it honors God and glorifies him if we acknowledge that he is involved in the nuts and bolts of daily life, down to the food on our table. And we have fun with saying grace in the rectory. I sometimes think that our standard graces when we pray before meals are a bit samey and bland. And it might help if we actually named the dish in front of our eyes. Thanks very much, Lord, for the delicious pizza. And we get yogurt afterwards as well, Lord. Thank you. Something like that. Just to, We don't have pizza and yogurt all that often. But just to remind us of... God's involvement in each meal we eat. See, he doesn't only answer our prayers when amazing supernatural things happen or healing comes, which the medics can't explain, wonderful though that is. No, we want to end up praying about every aspect of life, even the mundane things, daily bread, the bank statement, the traffic jam, the computer virus, the parking meter, The kids' homework. And it is a daily provision. That was actually the pattern for the manna in the Exodus, if you think about it. It came daily, not as a lump sum for the week. Enough manna for that 24-hour period. So I pray to him about this, and I depend on his material provision every day, every step of the journey to heaven. And notice too, it's not just for me, but for us, with God's children everywhere in mind. The orphan in Uganda, the sister who's lost her job as a result of persecution, whatever it might be. So God's provision, daily bread, and daily pardon as well. Uh, Forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. Maybe like you... Uh, like me, you find it a bit inconvenient that our translation says debt when we're traditionally used to sin there. I just have to keep telling myself to get over it with things like that. The debt is just an image for the fact that every sin I commit means that I am robbing God of the obedience that he deserves and therefore I am not in credit with him. In fact, left to ourselves, we are morally completely overdrawn debt-ridden and incapable of paying God back. I understand that Luther's dying confession was along those lines. Wir sind Bettler, hoc est verum, a bit of German and Latin for you. We are beggars, this is true. We're hopelessly in debt to Almighty God. So we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. If we need to pray daily 
for bread, then I take it that not a day goes by when it won't be helpful to acknowledge my sins to God. For there to be some expression of penitence coming back to the cross where Jesus died to bring forgiveness. You might remember that story um, where the night before Jesus died, Peter and Jesus were in conversation. Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet and Peter insisted, not just my feet, but my whole body. To which Jesus said, if you've been cleansed, you don't need a full bath, just a foot wash. And I think that applies here. I don't have to start all over again spiritually every time I fail him. I don't need a bath all over again. But to bring to God the defilement of the day, that is important. The relationship is not in doubt, but the friendship will suffer if I don't keep short accounts with God. And notice, too, the effect that our relationship with God surely has on every other relationship. Pardon received from God is the basis of pardon shared with others. What a difference it would make to earthly families if that principle was lived out and prayed through. Well, so much for God's priorities and then God's provision materially and spiritually. Um, One final heading is uh, one last concern that comes in the Lord's Prayer, God's protection. Because we don't only need God to blot out our record of evil in the past, but to preserve us from the tyranny of evil in the future. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That obviously includes a, a daily struggle It might be easier to grasp if you'll let me give a slightly more literal translation. What Matthew 6.13 says is more like this. Do not bring us to trial or testing. So we don't pray this way because otherwise God will be setting traps for us. He'll be leading us into temptation. He won't do that. But in this world, God doesn't grant us immunity from trials and temptations. We've got a malicious enemy who can inflict great damage on us. And perhaps the greatest danger we face spiritually is to carry on as if there's no danger, when in fact daily we've got to plot our course through a spiritual minefield, praying as we go, Lord, keep us safe. Think of the way the Israelites were taught to pray as they journeyed through the wilderness. Every day as the pillar of cloud moved on, they prayed, rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. So every step of the day was a step taken deeper into enemy territory in one sense, except that God was bigger than those enemies. He could scatter them. What they were expressing every day, every step of the way, was that they were absolutely dependent on God for protection. Without him, they were at the mercy of powers greater than they could ever deal with. But with him, they were absolutely safe. And that's the spirit of this prayer for God's protection. Protection in the daily struggle and in the future victory over evil as well. Deliver us from the evil one fully and finally. The great thing is that Jesus is encouraging us to pray for that final victory because he is absolutely committed to bringing that deliverance about. It was the whole purpose 
of his own battle with the devil. He fought him at the start of his ministry in the desert, and then supremely he fought the devil at the cross and overcame him there by taking our sin so that we don't need to pay for it ourselves. So that the power of the devil over us was broken by the death of Jesus as surely as it had been defeated when Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. And that complete deliverance of Jesus' followers in the future is therefore guaranteed. It will happen. So when we pray for that to happen, we'll see confidence filling our lives, however long the battle has been raging for us. On any given Sunday, as I stand up at the front, I know that there are people in church who are battling with all sorts of different things, with depression maybe, or with other family members who are depressed, maybe contemplating suicide, uh, visiting who knows what websites that would encourage them to end their battle the wrong way. On any given Sunday, there'll be people whose struggle is different, maybe pornography, or they're planning to commit adultery, or, or fantasizing about a better spouse than the one they have. For others, the battle may be in finances or debt. Uh, In the Bible, the devil is called the father of lies. And I always think the secrecy and dishonesty and pride issues surrounding financial mismanagement are legion and are traced back to his activity. Or it could be other things. It could be um, stopping our evangelism or withholding forgiveness. I'm not trying to be gloomy particularly, but this part of the prayer is a call for realism, isn't it? Those specifics may not be your battles, but they probably are corporately, in some area in the church, our battles, as in we are facing them, and we can pray for each other in them. So when we say at the end of the service, as we sometimes do, make sure you take the opportunity to pray for each other, that's not just encouraging Christians to be nosy and wanting to snoop into each other's lives and ask that question, how can I pray for you? That should be a natural question for us to ask each other. And then we should do it right there if we can with each other and again later on on our own as well. Well, I've whizzed through that prayer at high speed. I'm left feeling that I've barely scratched the surface of it. This is the most famous prayer ever ever uttered by the lips of, of a human being, don't you think? Don't you agree that the sheer power of these words should force us to ask, if Jesus Christ isn't God's son and he didn't say these words... Then we oh, we left asking, where did they come from? Because somebody somewhere said them. We got them in front of us on the page uh, today to look at. Don't you think these words and the sentiments in them are evidence, if you needed it, of a greater than human wisdom? Can you see the awesome majesty of the Lord's Prayer? Doesn't it point to the awesome superhuman majesty of the one who first breathed these lofty aspirations and 
to me, I don't know if it, I convince you of this, doesn't it explain in an instant the arrival of Christianity on the world map 2,000 years ago? Surely the existence of this prayer, if you want to share something with uh, somebody that doesn't yet accept Christ, surely the existence of this prayer shows that there was someone of immense stature who spoke things like nobody else ever spoke. Someone, I would add, who made this relationship possible, who enabled us to call God our Father in heaven. Well, let's pray before our closing song. And it is our prayer, Heavenly Father, that you would change our hearts to better reflect these longings, these aspirations, and then give us prayers to pray for your priorities, your good priorities, your character and glory to dominate our thinking and our praying, for your protection from evil, for your provision of pardon and daily bread and all our other needs. Will you please be at work to make us a people of prayer? And we ask it, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.